You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Nipe here with always typical Lydia today's show we're going to be doing the 2008 home invasion brand new classic the strangers I'd have to say it is a brand new classic I don't think there's a home invasion movie made since that doesn't thank or owe an homage to the strangers it a is... North American one let me just yes put that it, in there. it is very noteworthy the one we're talking about horror movies from the aughts. The Strangers is one that consistently comes up among horror fans and non-horror fans. Because this was a big movie. Did a lot of bucks and dollars. Did a lot of bucks and dollars without being a torch porn flick. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. In an era in which that particular bankable subgenre of horror was being eclipsed by ghost stories and... Other home invasion films. Home invasion movies are nothing new. We've been dealing with this genre for a very long time. It seems to pop in and out in popularity decade by decade. We can go back all the way to the 60s, Wait Until Dark, Audrey Hepburn. You can even include things like Cape Fear. You can also point to a lot of modern horror movies that have been coming out, and especially around this time, 2007, 2006, we had films like Them and Inside and Your Next and The Strangers coming out in 2008. And it doesn't seem to matter, you know, what continent. You get Korean home invasion movies, you get French home invasion movies, you get North American home invasion movies. And it's uh, the one of the things we're talking about while we're watching this is why so many people can enjoy this and it can be straight up horror movie. They don't have to fake it and call it a dark drama. It is a horror film, but people can relate to it because it transcends creed, class, religion, geographical location, culture, uh, home invasion. It can go as simple as cave invasion. You yeah. want to kill who comes in there. If you're in your cave by the flickering firelight and someone comes from the shadows, it's scary. That's horror. Mm-hmm. And this really touches on the fact that horror is not necessarily a genre. We call it a genre, but what horror is is an emotion. Mm. Comedy isn't an emotion. Western isn't an emotion. Although you look at some of those people in their 10-gallon hat and their spurs walking down the street midday city center, and maybe it is an emotion. <laughs> but it, like other genres don't have that sort of really visceral gut reaction like horror does so I, I love to take a supernatural out of it as much as i like haunted house films i like the way that a home invasion film just boils straight down to again the emotion of horror mm-hmm. it's very primal in that we construct our homes or we used to now we just buy them some people construct them and This is our space. This is the space that we feel the most safe. We know every nook and cranny, particularly if it's a house that you've lived in a lot of years. There's tons of people out there that have lived in their homes for over 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. There's people whose 
houses have been passed down generation to generation. Or even remove yourself from it. One of the uh, Dom creep from the the band. I, I want to say the band, but it's just him. It's the creeps, but it's just a creep. Just one singular <laughs> creep. But he had tweeted just recently that he still knows where the squeak is on the stairs on his parents' house. And it's like, uh, you could be removed from a house for 20 years, but once you've used it as your home for real and know every nook and cranny squeak and pleak and bump in the night, it, you do have that very like tight emotional attachment to it to the point that you remember these things no matter how many years it's been. And no matter who moves what furniture around, you still know the lay of the land. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. One thing I really enjoyed that we were talking about during this is how these people that infiltrate this home know it seemingly as well as the occupants. Mm -hmm. That tied into some of the uh, inspiration for this. You can't have real life horror without having some real life inspiration, right? So we have the real life inspiration of the Manson murders of Tate LaBianca murders and a few other cases that come to mind more readily for me. Uh, there is a case, there was a Californian uh, family, the Spark family, I believe in the 1980s who were slaughtered in their home and it was a rental home sort of off the beaten path or just outside of town. So it was a little bit secluded, much like this home. And there was uh, other like sons or cousins or siblings that were in sort of like a downstairs apartment they didn't hear what was going on upstairs and they survived it. But it was this sort of aftermath that people were greeted to the next day. E extremely terrifying home invasion. And it's unsolved. The people who did it were never caught. Or stretching a little bit, but the same sort of idea uh, was a campground invasion. The Oklahoma Girl Scout murders. Again, unsolved, where people came in and they think there was at least two people and had their way with three young Girl Scouts. And it was extremely brutal. And other counselors heard noises at, at night, but didn't go to investigate until the morning to find their bodies. So there are these like ghost in the night, fucking home invasion or campground invasion sort of things where the Tate LaBianca murders, if we'd never found out about the Manson family the way that we definitely did, this would have been that same sort of thing happening in two separate homes. Mm -hmm. This ghost in the night. People came in, who knows how many, and look what they've done. Yeah. Terrifying. Have you ever had a home invasion happen to you or around you or to someone you know? No. The closest I ever came was somebody attempting to break into my childhood house. I was the only person home. It was over and done before you knew it. What ended up happening was I was lying on my bed and I had just gotten back from work and I was very tired and it was still the afternoon. I was just had a part-time job and both my parents were away at the cottage and I heard banging at the front door. I thought at the time it might've been someone that I was dating and I thought to myself, well, that's weird. Why are they banging at the door when not just ringing the doorbell or whatever? And so I got up to investigate and I had to get dressed because I was in my bedroom and so I wasn't really appropriate to be answering the door. And I go to the front door and there's this person who I don't recognize. And I just looked away for a second. And when I looked back, this person was gone. And I walk out on my front porch and I see him taken off uh, on a bike. And I thought to myself, that's weird. And I didn't think anything of it. The next day, my neighbor 
got broken into by a person matching this person's description. Really? Yeah. That's so, kind of terrifying. I guess yeah. they you answered the door and they were like, oh my God, this tree person, I don't want to, he could fuck me up. Yeah. I suppose, his bike. yeah, when someone who can fill the door frame is walking towards you, you're all done. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, you have your size to thank. Mm-hmm. And probably the groggy westness, that, that yeah. sort of like hibernating bear kind of <laughs> look they got greeted with. Like, who the fuck is this? I don't want to fuck with you. That's that's good. That's yeah. good. Um, I'm glad that that was thwarted and that you were a little older. If you would have been younger, yeah. not that you were ever a latchkey kid by any means, but if yeah. it was just that sort of perfect storm moment where you would mm-hmm. have been younger, maybe not fill the door frame. Yeah. They might have, it might have gone very bad. Yeah, yeah. I probably was 18, 18 or so. Yeah. When yeah. that happened. There was a home invasion uh, a team of people. I don't believe they were ever caught operating around my parents' house, which is sort of countryside-ish. Um, but it was deeper in the countryside. It was uh, Astorville area, if anyone knows the calendar, North Bay area. Um, it, it's it's countryside, more or less. And random home invasion happened to friends of my, of my mother's. And it was terrifying for, for quite some time because they weren't they weren't caught. They had no motive. It was a robbery. That's it. The people weren't killed or hurt. They were scared and tied up and things like that. But it was terrifying for weeks for people wondering if they would be next. Yeah. It's really creepy, especially in that rural people kind of having a pastoral existence, which you feel the safest or you feel... Everyone knows everybody, so you would assume that it's safe. Or and you got guns, and you make it safe. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. You you have you have guns, you have ways to protect dogs. yourself. Dogs. Everyone's that's got dogs. Everyone's got dogs, right? Yeah. And, and, and it's funny how I feel. It's because I'm a city kid. I feel less safe in the country because, oh, I don't like those dark woods. I don't like not being able to see past my lantern light. I don't feel comfortable that way it could be because i'm not necessarily a city kid although i've i've been able to travel between the two realms with these yeah, yeah, yeah. but <laughs> the damn fear <laughs> that's me uh even after seeing this and being a fan of a lot of these especially hillbilly horror which should make me afraid of the countryside I still, that's where I'd rather be. And I still, I look at this house and I think, what a lovely house. You know, mm-hmm. I still would want to be exactly where these people are. Old growth pine, oh, you know, yeah. neighbors not too close. Yeah. A decent house that is, you know, safe from the elements and things like that. Like, I, I really do enjoy. The only thing I don't enjoy is thinking of who plows that fucking driveway. But It's a big job. It is a big job, and that's the only that is the only thing I don't like about living in the countryside. Especially if it's not a paved driveway. I mean, after enough rain and weather and stuff like that, you're gonna have to like, what do they call that? They get pat it all down again and stuff, so your uh, driveway doesn't get eroded. Regrade it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's it. That's it. I've been looking at heated driveways myself. That's, oh. I'm <laughs> that lazy. I'm that lazy. And this is part of my being able to travel between the city and the country is that I want to live in the country with a heated fucking driveway. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty funny. Well, it's about uh, your time and money, you know? That's and true, right? Quality of life. You have to balance those two things somehow. But 
Um, with this, you know, I do, I have had a, a fear of home invasion. I forget what movie it was entirely that sparked this, but I remember having trouble going to sleep one night and uh, talking to a friend of mine on the phone. And it wasn't until I had plotted out verbally, out loud, my escape route and what I would do in the event of a home invasion in this particular place I was living that I, that was the only time I felt comfortable enough to be able to sleep once I had a, a plan in mind. I grew, since I, I grew up in this suburban area, I never, it was weird. As a kid, I was afraid of random acts of violence because of things like Unsolved Mysteries. That used to scare me so fucking bad. There's this one story, and I, I can't remember the exact details, but I do remember that Somebody gets a guy out of his house. He's asleep at home with his wife and he says, I'm having car trouble. Can you come and help me? Guy puts on his sweater, goes out to help him. The person brings him to his car, shoots him, leaves the body in a ditch and drives off. Stuff like that was terrifying to me. Thank God we had rescue 911 after, <laughs> after started <laughs> hosted by William Shatner as a palate cleanser. That was what I liked about Rescue 911. It was always grotesque injuries, but it always had a happy ending where it showed the the person who was injured walking with their family at the end. And so I was like, this was like the happy palate cleanser for unsolved mysteries that used to ter terrorize me as a child. But I couldn't look away because I love to be scared. Yeah. But I, I think it would have started there. And I also have always been more uncomfortable with horror that has a lot of real life elements to it home invasion the reason why it scares so many people is because it's not not only plausible it's damn right possible like the, it happens all the time and you have a ghost story my irrational brain can make me afraid of ghosts sometimes but then I think to myself, oh, my God, you're just you're just being ridiculous. Like, I'm at my cottage by myself, and I think the lights have just gone off. So when I light a match, like, fucking Samara is going to be right in front of my face or whatever. But a home invasion, it's hard to play games with yourself saying, well, that won't happen. I lived in a very safe neighborhood, though, I always felt. And so I genuinely never thought that we would get robbed or anyone would break in until someone was trying to break in. And by that point, I was an adult, though. I was like a black belt. Like, I wasn't, like, totally terrorized by the idea. But if that had happened when I was a kid, yeah, like you were saying, mm -hmm. I would definitely view my neighborhood very differently. And then you would have been thinking, like, well, who owned the house before? Who has keys to this place? Are there street-involved individuals that would be looking to take advantage of what we have? Mm -hmm. Um have there been similar break-ins nearby? And that's where things like the crime map don't help because, I, I don't know, I, I'm sort of immune to it all because I, I take it all at a very realistic bent. But I do often look at the crime map around here just to see. <laughs> For those of you who don't know the, 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 the neighborhood that Lydia lives in, it's a very quaint, gentrified area now. But beforehand, <laughs> it was quite rough. Ten years ago, yeah, it was, it was a dangerous place. Uh, it's only been the past two years that we don't have uh, street-involved individuals on the regular uh, in my yard, let mm -hmm. alone in this neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It, yeah, it has been a little bit of a sea change. Yeah. Thank you, Hipsterberg. Hipsterberg, yeah. As opposed, you know, when I, when my uh, mother was a little girl, she lived in this neighborhood, and it was gen it was understood, oh, you don't go to this neighborhood. 
and and uh, that was prevalent all the way up to the 90s and into the early aughts and then yeah. you know the, like there's a, a sea change with businesses and stuff like that but there's vestiges of it though if you go down certain streets that you can see like the crumbling infrastructure and and uh old tags and all kinds of stuff where you're just like oh yeah yeah there's a lot of history in this neighborhood that hasn't exactly been uh pressure washed off just yet no that's true and it will always <laughs> stick um the place where i brought bought my wedding gown that's now a hair salon owned by the exact same family and getting talking to them who've lived in this area and had a business in this area for over 20 years is fascinating because they like to talk about the way it used to be a lot and the changes that have been made so it's it's fascinating stuff i do write about this area a little bit in night face 2 which is fun because i write about how it is this marriage of old and new and how you can easily convince yourself in an area like this a lot of things will never change because a lot of things don't or can't. But around it are all these things that are hearkening change, which some people love and some people hate. So I, I do like talking about that, being able to see those crumbling bits left over that would never, as you so eloquently said, never be quite power washed away mm-hmm. just yet. If ever, you know, I'm sure those people that get culture shock when they come to this area looking for things they might have found here 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I like I like that. I'm excited to hear about Night Face 2 because I like to read about areas I'm familiar with. One of the things I liked about Night Face 1 where you're talking about, I think uh, it's the scene where uh, Gunner might be having a coffee in the downtown and when I, in the downtown area in Ottawa. And I was thinking when I was reading it, I was like, oh, what the fuck? She, this is like the downtown area. And so sometimes when I'm I'm reading about uh, when I'm reading something that's taking place in a city or a town, I try to imagine what that town might look like. And, and, and so, you know, you say a small town and I'm all probably picturing like Merrickville or someplace in like Pembroke or whatever the fuck. But uh, this time I didn't have to use another thing as a reference point. I was, yeah, I can, I can uh, think about this area of the city that I have been going to since I was a a little kid and that have, you know, shaped my imagination and and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was very cool. So I'm happy to hear that there's going to be more of that, Mm -hmm. more of that. There will be a little bit more of that. Um, a little more of those of those sneaky, quiet, little crumbling places too. Not so much on the the churches, parliament, and yeah, 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 yeah. basically, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is in that book. But uh, yeah, I've been doing some some tightening up and polishing up and getting. That's good. Um, you guys want like Canadian vampires who you might think are nice dudes and ladies. They're pretty fucked up, <laughs> which I like because you know Canadians got bite. We don't need to be vampires too. Yeah, no, it's true. You can you can check more of that out at nightface.ca, and I'll be talking about it more as I um I'm getting it in front of some agents and stuff like that. So mm. trying to get it wrapped mm. up, and who mm. knows what'll happen with Nightface too. But when when do I get a when do I get friends and family sneak preview? Soon, soon. That's what I'm working toward is getting a beta reader um copy ready. They don't come more beta than me. Ask all of my previous girlfriends. It's true. <laughs> it is so true. <laughs> But yeah, you can check that out, nightface.ca, and uh, I'll briefly mention uh, typical books. You can check out my videos on typical books before we roll into a little bit of a little bit of postmortem. Um, yeah, I've been doing more book videos, so you can 
typical books on YouTube and go YouTube uh, slash typical Lydia. This is this is a great thing because let me tell you this. First of all, for me personally, I'm going to tell you why personally it's great for me. Gang, you might not know this about Lydia. She can be kind of scary. And and so a lot of people in my life always are just asking me, what's Lydia like? What's she like? Hear her voice on the podcast all the time. And and I'm always afraid that, because like being friends with Lydia is like traversing a bit of a minefield and you don't always have the map to it. <laughs> like any good minefield. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. So... So sometimes I'm always afraid that uh, people might not get a lot. Well, she won't. I'm afraid that Lydia won't like my friends, basically. And uh, and because that would devastate me. Well, I pretty much don't like anyone. So it's a safe bet. You know, that's what I'm works. saying. And, and I, as Lydia's uh, a dear co-host and friend, I've noticed sometimes that we refer to each other as our co-host instead of just friends. I'm like, that's weird. Am I not friends with Lydia? I'm friends with you, Lydia. I love you a lot. But... I've come to calling you my podcast partner, which is, it feels creepier, but people like to use the word partner in ambiguous ways. Yeah, just as long as people stop thinking we're married, that's what I want out of life. (laughs) My point being is, now, all I gotta do is, oh, you wanna know what Lydia's like? Boom. YouTube video. It's fucking (laughs) genius. It's great. It's like, if you wanna view Lydia, I will allow it through a powerful telescope. Which is the YouTube video. That's handy. I never really thought of that. That's yeah, great. Yeah, you know? yeah. I have thought of like, because I am removed from my immediate family. They mm-hmm. don't live in my city. So I can be like, well, if they miss me, they could just go watch YouTube. <laughs> no, but this YouTube channel is really cool. I'm a non-reader. I mean, I read stuff, but like not like books proper. You know what I'm saying? Like I read a lot of comic books, which are books, but they're just fun to fucking look at. But you did do a graphic novel in My Friend Dahmer, which yeah. I was very excited about because this is the first time you had done something that I was familiar with that I, I could be like, mm, yeah, yeah, so I see. Because, uh, you know, for all I know, when Lydia's talking about certain bits of literature, she's just like talking out her ass. I don't know if she knows what she's talking about, but I can happily say after <laughs> she knows what she's talking about. And it's interesting. You know I mean? It's not too long. You like 10 minutes or so, you're in and out. It's fucking good. It's good stuff. You guys are going to want to check this thing out. And she does, you do not only book reviews, but you've done a couple of videos that are not books per se, but they're just like getting to know me. Just chit chat videos, which I mean, I've been making, I've had a YouTube channel for over 10 years, yes. which is a surprising fact. Um, I've deleted a lot and not used it very much. I've mm-hmm. really neglected it, but you can see that the, the book review thing has been going on for several years mm-hmm. now. But um, I figured I might as well do the typical YouTube bullshit chit chat videos because so i watch tag videos i watch a lot of booktube i watch a lot of fucking mm-hmm. like people talking about books i watch authors i watch about me's about these authors and these reviewers mm-hmm. like i just do so i i better contribute a little bit and there's been all kinds of changes to youtube that i'm not going to get into so mm-hmm. it's not really about you know that I want to be a YouTuber. Mm-hmm. I, I just genuinely enjoy doing this. So, Which, yeah. honestly, if you... All the biggest YouTubers uh, from back in the day will tell you they started because they were bored. Because they liked to do it. It wasn't yeah. all about becoming famous. And so I think you're... Like, like you know, I don't want to blow it too much. Your content's very good. And I think people should check it out. It's fun. There's going to be some more author stuff coming up on that. And I really need to mention, aside from just putting it in the description talking about our show because we have toyed with the idea sort of vaguely once maybe about videoing 
a session of fucking dead air. Yeah. So maybe that will come to pass in the very distant future. But, I mean, I should mention the fucking show because I always forget to plug all the things, so to speak. And that's part of why we're having this little uh, uh, magazine portion of the podcast now so that we can talk about that sort of stuff yeah. that we're doing and wrap up stuff from the, the previous episode. Um, but speaking of podcasts, one thing that I'm going to be talking about on the typical books show and want to mention here is if you like podcasts, which I know you do, mm-hmm. um, check out This Is Horror. This Is Horror podcast is my number one favorite podcast next to this and Bind Torture cast, of course. It's the one and only show I support on Patreon. And I, I do talk about this in an upcoming author tube video on the Mm -hmm. youtube too um but they are pushing toward a thousand patreon subscribers which is neat because the the premise of that is that we know that there's 1000 people who would like to have this as horror as patreon but people aren't aware of it and that's something that we always say about this show is just tell your friends share the show it's not about word of mouth is very important you can click a donate button you can message us and tell us you enjoy it but what really works the best if you really truly enjoy something something that i do is share things i'm listening to share things i'm reading that's the point of the fucking book review show uh we share the movies we're watching it's the point of this fucking show (coughs) so if you like a podcast like this is horror share it especially if you have author friends aspiring author friends well-read horror fans people who enjoy knowing about the authors you know definitely fucking check out this is horror yeah you got you've you've definitely mentioned them in the past before and Mm. and it's always great it's just podcast podcasting anything that we're doing is always it always comes from a place of we're enthusiastic about things and maybe that's why we make podcasts and write books and write comics and and do all the things that we do because we just we can't help ourselves we can't help ourselves we have to do these things we have to talk about the things that we love and believe me if there wasn't a microphone in front of me i'd be cornering all of you in a fucking party and telling you about the things that i like because that's just the type of person i am so, so yeah, it always helps to just be loud and proud about this shit. Yeah. Little tiny postmortem with uh, The Shining. Oh, yeah. I didn't really talk much about the Doctor Sleep book, which is the book that comes after the book The Shining. Mm-hmm. But it's getting made into a movie for all you lazy bastards out there that can't crack a book, Wes. I have you know that I held the Doctor Sleep book in my hand. It was a gift for a friend of mine. He is a big Stephen King fan. And so what I do is there's a take a book, leave a book thing in my building. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and anytime I see Stephen King books, I sw- I, I'll, I'll text him the pictures like, do you got this one? And if it's no, I'll take the book and I give it to him. So to add to his King collection. I like that. That's a wonderful thing that you're doing. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Um, book swaps are a wonderful thing, too. If anyone has a corner in a building they know of to establish a book swap, do it. I highly recommend that. Mm-hmm. But, like, um, Mike Flanagan, who did, like, uh, Hush, stuff yeah, like that. Hush, yeah, Hush, yeah. Uh, he's doing it, which is oh. awesome. I like that. I, I'm excited to see him. Hush is a very cool movie. Um, adapt yet another Stephen King, so I guess they're working <clears throat> good together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> After all this time, Stephen King finally found someone that can make his fucking movies properly. Yeah, I know. And, I mean, Hush was, like, speaking of, like, home invasion, right? Like, like you want to talk about, like, a film who, it, like, and, and, and honestly, that was when, when a friend of mine who uh, is really, uh, really loves... Uh, home invasion films was like is there anything else like hush that's when i said wait until dark i was like if you want the idea of someone uh deaf 
Well, there's another, there's almost a movie exactly like it where someone's blind, so you could watch that too. Yeah. I, I loved Hush, and that was one that I recommended to people who, you know, like horror, but don't want gore, and they want tension, but they want something that's a little smarter, mm-hmm. um, and they want like a, a strong female lead, but not one that's a strong female lead because she was raped and mm-hmm. things like that. Like, Hush is a really good combination of all of those things in the best way. I really enjoyed Hush a lot. It's a very cool fuck. Very mm-hmm. cool. It doesn't have that same sort of tension that we get in Strangers, and that's one thing I really like about The Strangers. Is that they do, Brian Bertino works with tension very well. If you want to see him do this again, but not in a home invasion setting, The Monster is another one where dread and tension and fear and the unknown. And it is sort of an invasion in a way because it's called The Monster. Like there's no spoiler that there may or may not be a monster involved. (laughs) Uh, He can write people very believably, which I don't think comes through in this film, which we'll get into what I think of these characters. <laughs> but yeah, um, if you want to see him write some characters that aren't steeped in stereotype and are actually genuinely likable at the same time being extremely fallible and in, if for some reasons unlikable, maybe hateable, uh, but still you care about them and you care about them being together and, and making it through this night, you know. Yeah, the monster is a really good one. He produced the Black Coat's Daughter, which was a bit of a hit among those who have seen it because it's one of those ones that um, has kind of fallen through the cracks. I think uh, the Oz Perkins film, but it's it's really good too. But it hasn't gotten the same amount of eyeballs as I think it really deserved. Um, I think maybe people were taken aback by a movie like The Witch that got all the eyeballs, but not as much of the a love that people expected to have for it. Black Coat's Daughter is a little bit better that way. But uh, what was the other film he did that I haven't seen yet? Mockingbird. Oh, okay. Yeah. But he's written the new Strangers film, which is coming up. So I'm excited yeah. that it's still in the same hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the Strangers is getting a little bit of a resurgence. Not only do they have the sequel coming out too, Screen Factory's got an upcoming collector's edition of the uh, of the film. Uh, just just a... Didn't they just do one, like, not even, like, a couple years ago? No, I don't think not so. Not Screen Factory, but, like, wasn't there already a... It's possible that, that somebody has re-released uh, the film already. It does happen. I mean, a lot of times, like, like Screen Factory will do something, and then um, Anchor Bay will do something, or, or then Arrow will do something. I, like, I'm thinking of Black Christmas specifically when I say stuff like that. Like, Anchor Bay had the season's grievings, and then... Screen Factory had their collector's edition, and then like Arrow did their collector's edition. I'll stick with the season's grieving because it's got uh, our pals at Rue Morgue all over it, and so that's the one that I'm going to uh, champion. It's kind of nice when you can pick and choose what package you want. I mean, that's true. That's like, true. I do like that, although I find it's just a mad cash grab. It really, truly is. Oh, for sure. And, but but sometimes you know it's opportunity and uh, availability for certain people. Uh, there are people who I think are in fucking sane who are buying every version of that whereas i'm in the headspace of eh, you have to give me a real reason to upgrade or because if i have something on dvd then i have it and the only way that you like, here's the perfect example i almost bought uh, a, a kick-ass collector's edition of i spit on your grave that's a few years ago i think it was the 30th or, or 25th anniversary of it or whatever and it had uh, it was a DVD. I have it on Blu-ray, but it, it had uh, like 
this whole commentary thing by Joe Bob Bridges on it. And I really was like, oh man, I really want to get it. It was that turning point and it was only like 15 bucks. But I was like, you have this movie, you have it on <laughs> Blu-ray, you don't need this. I was like, you don't really need it. it. But even though the commentary track sounds really cool, but what you would watch it like once. And then, and then I'm thinking about space. I don't really want two ice spits in the collection. Whereas I know some people, they would, uh, it's their th- catcher in the rye and they'll just buy like oh, yeah. 20 copies of shit. <laughs> just buy it over and over again. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where I'm usually, especially now as, um, my collection is getting to the point, which I really need to be conscious of how much space. Or if it toppled over, it could kill you in your sleep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have to make, I just like everything contained to the, the bookshelf and I want to make sure it's all organized since, uh, me and my ex went to so much fucking trouble to do that. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad that it has been done. It has been done, yeah. But yeah, the um, but yeah, the new one coming out, that would be something that would make me buy this. Because I don't own this film. Um, I do enjoy it. It's not like my favorite darling home yeah. movie by any means, but I do enjoy it. Uh, I'll wait and see what the next one is like. And if it's... If it fits hand in glove with this one, I'll probably wait for the inevitable special edition that has both of them. Because we watched this on Shudder. We did. So thanks, Shudder. I love fucking Shudder. Shudder Canada. Like you noticed after we're done watching the movie where it shows you all the thumbnails of other crap you can watch. There's so much stuff we've covered on Shudder. So if somebody's out there that, you know, doesn't own this uh, Leaning Tower of Pisa that is Wes's... (laughs) film collection or doesn't want to like go hunting for fucking movies that high fives to thomas for finding yeah that last winter oh my god that's oh, not wow. an easy film to find. i was very impressed by that yeah, very so impressed super by high that. fives but like if you don't have the wherewithal or the searching abilities or the luck mm-hmm. like thomas does uh shutter man like there's so much except for like the last winter which is such a hunt to find but um yeah, Shutter has a lot of stuff we've covered, a lot of Bind Torture Cast stuff. It's it's really remarkable, and for such a like, it sounds like we're shilling for for Shutter, but it's definitely a service that we both believe in, and and I think that for the modern horror fan who is interested in digital, and so, how many times do we hear from our show from listeners? Oh, I really want to listen to this episode, but I really want to watch the movie first, but I just don't know where to get this movie. I'm telling you, man, like, what's the monthly fee? It's like. And you, oh, it's like six bucks or something. Yeah, like it's, like, it's very inexpensive six compared bucks. to uh, Netflix. It's, it's a fucking half the price. It's a fucking Starbucks coffee, and you have access to every like not every movie that we've ever done, but a huge library of the movies that we've done, and 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 even more that we will do in the future. And this uh, like The Strangers is not part of my film collection. Surprisingly, surprisingly, enough. I I I'm probably gonna pick up the 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 Screen Factory version. I really like the slipcover art for it. It's mm-hmm. really beautiful. Um, and I like this movie enough to buy it. I certainly have movies in my collections that I like less. So uh, yeah. it'll sound like we're shilling for Shutter, which we're not. We're not sponsored by Shutter by any in any way. But like, no, but I mean, like if we, they have a free month or something like that, yeah. or you can watch like a certain series right now for free. Like they they run special. So if you're if you're interested, and you can look at all of the films that they have without being a member, so they're not like hiding shit from you. Yeah, yeah, so, and, yeah. And, and, you know, like some people, uh, especially in Canada, if you if you feel that uh, the Netflix horror collection is is, is lacking, which I, it, you know, I, it's hard to disagree with that. It is. Um, this is the a very inexpensive, viable option for anybody. It's a Starbucks coffee yeah. and you have like awesome films to watch. 
that can help you enjoy our show even more. Yeah. And that said, like, in, enjoy our show. Enjoy, enjoy our, our show. show. So here we are. Um, after taking 40 minutes of your time oh, to shit. talk about everything else. But the strangers, the strangers, Wes. Mm, the strangers. Let's get into what this fucking movie is about, because it's about strangers. And the first time I ever saw this film was on Space, the Imagination Station. Crazy. I know. And so this is this is a sci-fi channel uh, uh, up here in Canada, and I had seen it. And it seemed as though that every night uh, or after 10 o'clock or Fridays, Saturdays, whatever, they were showing horror movies like this. I didn't even know what it was. I'd never heard of it. And, and uh, you know, I miss things like you do. And so I started watching it. And at first I was not... I read the description, which made me stay tuned for the movie. But if I didn't read the description, I might not have stuck with it. But the second I see masks, I'm I'm in. When I first watched this, I missed the whole beginning. I was on, and I was present, and my eyes were out the screen, but my brain was elsewhere or something. Mm-hmm. And maybe I had my phone in my hand. I don't know. But guy with the bag on his head, I'm there. Yeah, I'm sold. Yeah, yeah. I'm in. You know, I definitely <laughs> watched it from then on. But the beginning of it was just like... I do not give a shit about these people, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it is interesting that we both sort of gapped at the on the beginning of this, but we're sold when it got to the nitty gritty. It, it is, it's true, and and I think it's a really good example about. It's very obvious what Brian Bertino cares about when he was writing this, and this was his directorial debut, and he produced it and he wrote it, and so this is a triple threat. This is his baby. His hands are all over it. And at the with all of that in there, you can see what he was interested in. And what he was interested in was a home invasion movie where three people at random attack a couple. And that is about it. And the couple itself needs to fill a function to push narrative forward. But he's not really interested in these characters. And that's why they're not interesting now, we both agree that it could be a lot worse. Could be a lot worse because, you know, you're also coupling that with someone like myself who is not interested in the fucking people. I don't care about the fucking people. And I'd be I'm a lot more interested if this movie started with the shadowy figure of Bagface down the hall mm-hmm. with the girl being unaware. You know, mm-hmm. I'd be fine with deleting mm-hmm. the whole beginning, except that it is interesting enough that we have... Uh, a couple getting into a car, they're heading home, they're not getting along, it's obvious, there's tears drying on one girl's cheek, they don't have a lot to say to one another or Just about what watching happened. Watching the lights change, like... Yeah, it's very quiet, The um, we're, we're faced with some very slight Dutch tilts, mm-hmm. very slight, there's never a full Dutch tilt in this film, yeah. I don't think at all, which is great, but these just slightly unsettling camera angles slightly unsettling camera motion slightly unsettling sound design to begin with so you're kind of sold you're like okay i'm interested enough to watch what's going to happen to these people and he's accomplished that at least they're not interesting i'm not interested in them you know he does that but it could have failed if they were talking about like well, what do you want to do tonight babe i don't know pizza i don't know maybe let's mm-hmm. go home okay there, he uh, throughout this film he shows an incredible amount of restraint, and that is demonstrated both in the length of time that we are spending with the couple initially before we get to the the the, the invasion aspect of it all, and also how he is allowing the story to be told with a combination of 
half sentences and flashbacks. And it's, it's effective writing in the sense that they are talking as two people who know what they're talking about. Which is fascinating and thank you it's a breath of fresh air yes and if i were the type to be very interested in people and relationships and these two people in particular i'd be riveted it's it's very true we know from context clues that the fact that they enter this home that he had that uh speed man himself uh jimmy 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 (laughs) james 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 James, are you james (laughs) <laughs> but we we know he's decked out there's rose petals everywhere you can see that there's champagne bottles there's candles uh, we know we can infer that a romantic night of a, a couple was supposed to come here and 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 uh, celebrate their love and what could that be about and the whole house has been to the nines, and it's uh, James's parents' place. It's in this very rural area. Not a cottage, not a cabin, a summer home, basically. It's like a it's farm. A summer home, but like not even. Like a house they're not living in anymore. Yeah, I don't know. Basically. Maybe they're uh, dead and he inherited it. Or maybe they're away for the weekend. Yeah, could be. That's right. They, we don't know, and it's not important, and that's great. Yeah, we don't know because they know. And, and if this was a, a worse written movie, ah, my parents' house. The ones that are away right now, they've allowed us to use it for this very weekend, a weekend that we were supposed to have a romantic getaway before our big road trip where I asked you to marry me. But you said no. It's all changed now. That that is the shittier version. I'm sorry. I'm a horrible girlfriend. Are we going to fight? We never fight, do we? We never do. But this time we will because the storybook romance I thought we had was a sham. Because when I asked you to marry me, you said no. And now I think our relationship's over, but you're not sure if that's what this means. And nor am I. I loved you this morning, and now I have no confidence. I'm Scott Speedman. It could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot worse. We do applaud this uh, very kind of slow beginning. It's it's very slow. And if you didn't know you were watching a horror movie, you might not... You What is this? Like some kind of fucking lifetime drama? Like what's going on? I found it semi-interesting though because... It, with this slow beginning, now that I was forced to fucking pay attention to it, stop yeah. to a Terry Ludovico style. Eye <laughs> drops in your fucking eyes. For, thank you for that. Um, I did notice some of the things that that are kind of angry making for me, and it persists as Liv Tyler's uh, portrayal, not her portrayal. Okay, the what she was handed to portray in this girl, Kristen. Who is this just helpless, semi-brain-dead girl that if it weren't for a couple well-placed scenes, I would wonder how she doesn't drown in the shower every morning. But <laughs> yeah. she at least knows how to operate the wood stove flu and she knows how to like basically not drown in a shower every morning and take care of things like the smoke alarm going off. Like, I, I do enjoy that she's not entirely helpless, but I, I just rub up against a girl who is this kind of helpless, moping, meek, hipsterish, sort of edging on uh, manic prixie dream girl with her fucking barefootness and soft-spokenness and helplessness. And you've got that coupled with Scott Speedman's character in James, who is like 
you know, I feel it's very unfortunate writing in a way here because it's coming up against our patriarchal brainwashing where we're expecting that he's going to be hero and villain all in one. Mm -hmm. And he does play hero and villain all in one at the beginning where we're sort of forced into the idea that maybe for a moment, this could be all happening in her mind. She could be that weak. She could be weak of constitution. She could be weak of mind. And this isn't actually happening. And she's losing her shit because she's a woman. And that's what women do. Unfortunately, like it really does play with that. And it also plays with him like, well, he was just spurned. And we don't know. He's unpredictable because he's a man. And now he has blue balls because they were going to have sex and now they can't. So now he's like this ticking time bomb. But those are all just things that are brainwashed into our culture. Yeah, unfortunately. That, that's things that 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 you and uh, and I, especially the ticking time bomb thing, like I brought that to the movie. There's no real... I mean, you can kind of assume that as like, oh, maybe he is but baghead. Yeah. Like the beginning, like maybe he... Or maybe this is all in her mind because this yeah. is let's scare Jessica to death all over again. Yeah. You know, like, and, but it's only for moments and it's not intentional, I don't think. Or if it is, it's kind of brilliant, mm -hmm. maybe, to play with some of the things that we either do believe erroneously or know exist in hate. There's this, there's the one scene that I really think is a dog at the beginning. And I didn't like it when I first saw it. And when we watched it again today, I didn't like it again. Was when he's sitting down eating his ice cream. And which is kind of funny because I was like, oh, like the, the love spurn, uh, love spurned like person eating ice cream. We always like make that a woman. So let's just make it a guy. And he's just like sitting there eating a whole tub of ice cream, like some sort of dairy monster. And then uh, she sits down and the scene between the two, I understand that it's supposed to be, you're still sitting with this person. And even though Kristen doesn't want to marry this person, I don't get the impression from her at all that it's like she wants to break up. It's just, I don't want to marry you, at least not right now. Like, I don't feel... I was not feeling it. Maybe she's the type of person that doesn't look that far ahead. Maybe she's the type of person that never thought herself would get married. There's lots of logical explanations. Or maybe because we, this is all this really awesome shorthand that's going on in this. Maybe he did a whole bunch of shit lately that made her think, Doubt I it. absolutely don't want to marry this yeah, guy. And, and then he does this <clears throat> to make up for it, maybe. Like, but that's also projecting a lot on Exactly. Them. So, but like, it, it's just this, this line, it's kind of a throwaway line. And you can even say it with, with Liv Tyler, who I think is a very good actor. Yeah. Um, it, it's just this idea of him like there's clothes upstairs and then he then she says i want to wear this dress because i want to feel pretty and he's like you are pretty and i was just like oof the, the, there's no truth in that dialogue it seems very bad to me and i didn't mind that the scene i didn't like that in the same sort of way was right after when he is making the fire for her because he's gonna run out and get her cigarette. oh yeah and he's like are you gonna be okay and she sort of shrugs and says yeah and all of this like i don't know it's just like placating this this wounded little girl when she's apparently not she's apparently just as strong and tough as any other girl out there but he's making her into this like this like it was infantilization yeah her, and it's really disturbing that she sort of plays along with it when it's like he's the one that's all but her it's she's true. the one that stood up and said and no one didn't just roll along with his proposal so like she shouldn't be so butthurt. And what, she's sorry she hurt his feelings? Or she's sorry? I, th I, I think that's what it is. Yeah. And the she says as much. It, it, she's sorry it wasn't didn't go the way that he had planned. Like, it's not about his plan. Yeah. So uh, that just really grates on me, yeah. that scene. 
But fortunately, when you're watching this movie through the context of the fact that we're going to get some masked people in here, it becomes... It, but it, the only thing that, that I bump in... Scott Speedsman, I mean, he's kind of like a, a, a level of actor that I, I think to myself, yeah, well, you know, I could see why he took this role. Liv Tyler, I, I find... If the role was juicy enough for her, it couldn't have been the fucking first twenty minutes of this movie. <laughs> like I, I was yeah. like, I was like, you were not giving her enough to do. Like I found similarly with the movie Honeymoon. Um, mm. Chris had mentioned it on Vine Torture Cast, and I got interested because he was interested. I had tried watching it beforehand and was like, what the fuck is this shit? And watched maybe ten minutes of like coupledom bullcrap, and I'm like, no way. But then for Chris to be like, oh yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. I was like, I gotta give it another chance, and that's where I would have been tricked with a movie like Strang- The Strangers because I would have watched the first like ten minutes of me. What the fuck is this shit? And I don't know. I'm not interested in this. Thank God I knew what was coming. So, speaking of the restraint that he shows, the, the the shorthand between the couple is very realistic. And just because it, we bump up into certain aspects of it, it's fine. There's nothing. It's not. It's not dog shit. It doesn't ruin anything. It's just. It. it if anything, it makes you appreciate what's to come even more, because the restraint that he shows in that conversation is just as much restraint as he shows when our guests arrive. Is Tamara here? Is Tamara here? Very creepy, very cool, iconic. I love that line. I think it's very nice. And this begins, this strange woman coming to the front door and asking for a person. And then it's four o'clock in the morning, by the way. That's something that we should probably mention. They got in late from this wedding. They've been here for a bit. This person comes to the door at four o'clock in the morning. They're in this rural area. What's happening? Who's Tamara? She's drunk or she's on something mm-hmm. or she's lost. Who, whatever, whatever. They don't care because she leaves. Speedman goes off to buy her cigarettes. It's it, that that is something that's very relatable to me. This idea about your partner wanting something very minute and wanting to just get out, get out, especially if you're having a fight or something like that. Doing this thing for her, but at the same time, it's kind of like I just don't want to be in the house right now. I want to go for a drive or go for a walk. What what strikes me is that they, they communicate well enough to get that story straight, mm-hmm. that he just wants to take a drive and things like that. Like, he's not, like, being underhanded about this at all. He's mm-hmm. very clear that, no, I think I just want to take a drive. And, you know, you won't sleep tonight. Like, they know each other well enough that they didn't have this conversation about getting fucking married before, but whatever. Um, I like that when there's a second knock at the door while he's gone to the store, mm-hmm. that she gets in touch with him on the phone. Her cell phone isn't working, so calls on the landline. And after that call takes place, we know that she knows how far away he is and how long he'll be. But because it's a phone conversation that we don't hear the other end of, we as the audience don't know mm-hmm. how long he'll be, which mm-hmm. is great. He could have said, I'll see you in the morning, and she's there alone for the duration of this. Or he could have been outside in the parking lot right then. So then it does play with that, like, is he baghead? How angry is he? Will he be a while? Is he 10 minutes down the road? Like, we don't know that. So it helps elevate that tension. Yes. And the tension is going to mount very, very slowly. We know walking into the horror movie that we're watching a horror movie. It's one of the things that we benefit from that our characters in our films never do. It would have been very easy to just have people break in immediately. We know there's something wrong because there's this strange girl. There's this nice technique when uh, before James uh, before James leaves that uh, the front porch is not working the way that they want 
and it's because the light bulb's unscrewed, and so we can't really, really see her face, although we could see enough, but, but it's still obscured enough. And when tension ramps up, it's not so much that there's a knock at the door. There's a knock on the door in conjunction with, well, now it looks like the chimney's been blocked or turned, or there's something going on here. It must be blocked because they, there's no one in the house, right? Right. Well, that set off the fire alarm. That's jarring for anybody. I'm going to go take care of that. The fire alarm goes on the ground. Uh, meanwhile, I'm going to be charging my cell phone. It's dead. And then she's going to go into the bedroom. But no worries because the house is empty. But then we start seeing a lot of evidence that the house is not empty. And the first things first is our first shot of of uh, Baghead, who... I always, when I always think of this guy, I always think of him as as Button Man or Buttonhead or, or Buttonhead uh, from uh, Nightbreed. Nightbreed. He, yeah. he uh, David Cronenberg's character yeah. from that film, and because I always think, yeah, they have a pretty similar kind of mask. Then I realize that no, a Buttonhead has a way cooler mask than Baghead. But I think it's because they're similarly well dressed. Yeah, they're otherwise. suit slight men yeah. uh, with that would otherwise look normal, except they're wearing like a weird fucking mask. He's just watching her, just watching her. It's all, it's, it's in the background. He's not doing anything. She is just getting a drink of water. Very Michael Myers, right? Oh, yeah. Let's, let's just peel back really quickly to the very beginning of this film where we've got almost a Texas Chainsaw Massacre intro with yeah. the, this is based on true events. Yeah. Um, and then instead of flashes of a flashbulb taking pictures of a crime scene, we get flashes. Um, of houses, just regular houses. Like you're driving down a street and you're looking at houses, like this house, the next house, this house, and there's like a fade black in between real quick. Mm-hmm. And kind of a staccato house after house. And they all reminded us of like different horror houses. We swore we saw the Nightmare on Elm Street house. We yeah. swore we saw Michael Myers' house. We mm-hmm. swore we saw something that looked a lot like the Ocean Avenue house from Amityville. Like, we they're they're very horror like houses and at the same time just regular any old house right any old mm-hmm. house can do so I really love that and then we go back to this scene where it's like very Michael Myers oh yeah oh yeah especially and and especially once we learn that this is going to be a mirrored beginning and ending film technique mm-hmm. where we're going to start off with a nine one one call and we're going to be seeing evidence of the night except now as we're entering the story we don't have context for any of it except little tiny things like we knew that there was a ring box on the table oh mm-hmm. there's a ring box it just happened we saw that rose petals um, rose petals oh it's been happening oh the route the record is mm-hmm. played right down into the black hole of the end groove uh and she at this time when there everything's happening there's a bit of cacophony with the fire alarm the smoke's pouring out of the thing there's banging at the door she's getting very scared grabs a knife and hits the record player and jars it into the skipping i love that technique i I love that too and the thing that it's saying which makes me go into this let's scare jessica to death moment and this is the moment where you start to think is this even happening just for a split second because it definitely is happening um but it says inside her head over and over and over during this very this is probably the most action-oriented, tense, loud scene until way later. Yeah. And then, of course, when we think that our Baghead character is getting close 
Oh, who is it? It's James. Oh, of course it's James. And so on the one hand, the, the part of you that thinks that this isn't in her head could think, well, we saw someone in a suit in a mask walk towards the door, and the person that showed up at the door was James. Who's still in a suit. Who's still in a suit. Interesting. Or it's a psychosis. It, she is completely fabricating everything. Especially since she really realizes that there is someone in the house because she walks back in the room. The smoke detector has been moved. Her cell phone is gone. What, what, what I like is that not too long after that, now that James is, ba- James is back and everything is safe, and we're pretty sure we're pretty sure that it's not him, and we're pretty sure he's not a ticking time bomb because he seems like an actually okay guy, uh, we get a nice shot of her cell phone melting in an open fire. Yeah. They don't see this. No, they don't they see that. They never see this. You would think that the, the black smoke and the smell of that plastic uh, device burning would be enough to alert you, but let's not think about that, too. Well, the chimney's been fixed, right? So oh, the flue is open now. They wouldn't smell a thing. All that smoke's uh, neatly going back up the chimney like it ought to. Didn't think about that. Lovely stuff, huh? Very, very, very tightly written beginning for something that seems and feels very slow and seems and feels like it's trying to fuck with your head a little tiny bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe in an aggravating way, but maybe that's good. Now I'm a little bit aggravated, right? It's true. And and we know that uh, we have seen evidence as uh, of the bagman close up now. Because Kristen has seen him when she pulled back uh, a kitchen window. And we are disoriented by the fact that, first of all, there's clearly more than one of them. There's at least that woman banging on the door. There's this bagman that has been terrorizing and also been in the house. We don't know how he gets in. I would assume that people who have this type of hobby would be able to break in. I mean, sure enough, there's enough cat burglars in the world that can get in and out of places without anyone even knowing that they were there. But uh, they really knows the lay of the land and can be inside and outside. And it seems to be a coordinated attack and it's not like something in the what's that it's in the purge which is which the first purge film is a home invasion film with like a sci-fi bend to it but it's still home invasion and that is a very chaotic invasion that is that is like a pack of young people that don't really have a plan other than getting into the house these people seem to be coordinated and i don't know if they're communicating through text message because it's all very timed you distract you're the big distraction at the door while i simultaneously simultaneously are quietly getting into the house so while they're fixating on the door i'm breaking in the other way so maybe my little clinky tinkies of like breaking a lock in the back door for example is not going to be heard i'm going to be going into the house out of the house and we're going to move stuff around maybe she'll notice it maybe she won't but you're here and i'm here and so it's very methodic and like i said it shows a great deal of restraint and we get an idea of what type of tension that this film is going to be giving us not necessarily gore but it's going to be a lot of atmosphere and it's going to be a lot of holy shit these people can come and go as they please. And it detracts only a little bit from the final moments about trying to really feel as though this is truly and solely a random act. Mm-hmm. It makes it, this, it's the only evidence that makes me think that. There's no way they would know this house that well. Yeah. There's no way they'd be able to, um, you know, second guess all these actions 
or stay a step ahead of these people without having studied them. So, mm-hmm. and then I'd go into the the Manson fodder for the storyline, mm-hmm. where the girls and and the guys of the Manson family did engage in something they called creepy crawling, where they would dress in all black and go into houses, break into houses while people were sleeping in them, and creep around, creep and crawl around, mm-hmm. and sometimes steal food. More often than not, not do that, and not even cat burglar. They were just catting. Yeah, <laughs> and they just go into houses and be creepy just to experience the thrill of being in somebody's house. If you do that a number of times, you would really get an, a sense of the house, maybe more so than the occupants, especially what it's like to sneak around the occupants, which requires a whole different knowledge of the house. So it makes me feel like they'd been doing that, but you're mm-hmm. supposed to not believe they've been in the house before Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. yeah it does kind of you know you're kind of of two minds there but that's also part of how this movie sort of runs hot and cold throughout Mm -hmm. one thing with the tension and the atmosphere and this sort of slow burn like you do get your payoff and beats you definitely do Mm -hmm. um but the sound design I love. I love. I love the sound design of Monster, too. If anyone wants to hear all about Monster, go watch the Monster and listen to episode 151 of Bind Torture Cast, where they talk about the Monster and talk about Brian Bertino and how, how good he is with this particular skill. Um, and the sound design of this is great. Up to the point where the people are definitely in and out of the house, around the house. You don't know how many of them there are. And they both are convinced that there are people out there and they mean them harm. James decides that he needs to go out and retrieve his cell phone. Because he left it in his car. This, this is still in that era in which people's cell phones are not always within a fucking arm's reach of them. And in a way, you could still, in the aughts, there's still so much evidence. I, we talked about this when we watched Jeepers Creepers, about how someone's cell phone would be in the back seat in a duffel bag. As opposed to just... Totally believable. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, because back then they'd be like, cell phones are only for emergencies. Not like, cell phones have to be permanently attached to my hand or else I feel like my heart is going to stop. These are little Silver Ericsson um, flip phones. Yeah. That's what they are. So that's <laughs> the era we're dealing with. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I was like, I guess 2008 or 2007 when this was filmed, uh, it doesn't seem that long ago, but I guess like, yeah, there was still phones like that around and and you know there's still flip phones these days but uh he left his cell phone in his car he was upset i'll give him that i would agree that james is probably upset yeah that has something to do with maybe why he left his phone in the car maybe the phone is not that important to him like it was not as important to people in 2008 as it is to people in 2018 but like it has been established now he believes that there is something going on he doesn't believe they've been in the house but he understands the, the, the fear. They need to get out of there. They need to get help. Exactly. He has seen his car has been tampered with. It's been fucked with. Um, the, the front of his windshield has been smashed. We don't really know exactly what they're doing. At this point, when they go into the bedroom, they've been, it's been written all over the wall. Hello. 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 And it, it lets you know that wherever they are in the house, because he does like this whole like checking for monsters under the bed routine with Kristen. Uh, no one in the shower. Oh, let's check over here. Nope. No one here. Let's go into the basement. Nope. No one here. No one here, but there's someone there. She's outside. She's watching us. Yeah, it's true. And it's like, she's like a ghost. And she says, should I go and talk to them? The rationale that James has is they have to want something. No one just does something for no reason. That is what our 21st century brains will tell us about anyone. No one does something without a reason. She seems to be standing there 
looking at them for no apparent logical reason. And when they look away and they look back, she's gone, much like a phantom. But we've also uh, encountered the issue of whatever this person wants. And Kristen's convinced that these people want to fuck with us. They want to hurt us. It's not like they want... You can't go and talk to this person, so we need to leave. Now, her initial thought is to barricade themselves in the bedroom, but Scott Speedman is a man of action. He's a man of courage, determination. He is a man of logic. He also hasn't been fucking terrorized by them and had proof positive that they're being in the house and are fucking with them. And That's trying true. to cut them off from any means of escape or contact. Plus, so. he's got his gun. His dad always hid one around here. Yeah. And, and it's also like... Uh, one of the things that I liked about it was uh, was the moment in which like he's just pouring fucking buckshots all over the ground, and she's like, "I don't even know how to load this." And she says to him, "Thought you said you went hunting with your dad all the time." And he said, "No, I did." I know that was I, just something I said. That was just something I said, and she kind of gives him this look, and I'm like, "Yeah, sometimes you know, I I, I could definitely see like." lying to a part probably early it was probably something he said very early first in the, date thing yeah he's like yeah you know i just uh you know, went up there hunting with my dad all the time you know it was probably killed a bear once we didn't keep the the body you know it's like no that's garbage talk that, yeah at this point i don't believe a thing that's going to come out of his mouth yeah that's true she, she no wonder she didn't marry him exactly. she saw right through that bullshit exactly no i don't know, no, I don't know but... it's a kind of a throwaway line but i like that he is very much convinced now that they have or could be in the house because poof there's a cell phone on the piano yeah it's weird it's super duper weird and again again it's like when they're not in the main room like the, the living room, uh, kitchen, dining room area, uh, you would assume that they're in the house elsewhere. But I guess like once you're going through the house and searching it, I, I was like, is there no point in which he would have accidentally cornered at least Bagman? Again, this is what gives you an idea that this guy has to know the fucking layout of the house. Because when someone's systematically searching each room, how do you make sure that you're not right? Like you got to hide anywhere where he's already checked. But how do you get to that point? Right. It'd be a fucking balancing act. But again, these are questions that are not necessarily needed. For all we know, he literally left the house again. Like he's outside the house. Yeah. Um, and it's not or just he's standing in a closet. It's not. Yeah. It's not just him. And it's not just doll face because there's also our pinup doll friend, our, our lady in red. Yeah. Yeah. And she uh, and so there's three of them that are circling the house. And we know this for 100 percent because her first reveal uh, uh, of our pinup doll friend is my favorite because when they finally realized they got to get into the car and get the fuck out of there um, I thought initially that the car had been tampered with at the point and that it wouldn't start but that's not the case um, they can still drive uh, even if the tires are slashed I mean you can you can drive on rims if you need to drive on rims you will drive yeah on rims. I was like you'll fuck them up but at this who point cares? Yeah, yeah who cares like you can get a new car you can't get a new life so um, when they're hitting the road they fucking just get plowed by our pinup girl and uh she's in this big old truck i love it it's a really great reveal all of that the the reveal of all the ladies in the mask or the two ladies in the masks is very good because you have like um we've seen one of them unmasked already but now they're in their personas right whatever these masks are meant to represent to these characters which we're not exactly sure we know that both the ladies one has like like a cupie doll kind of thing going on. And the other one has another doll face, so like frozen. This guy's got a, a he looks like a sack boy, basically. I'd also like to think that they didn't plan these masks and they picked them up from the last house they were in. Yeah, or or just like this was what was like left over in like the fucking like five cent bin at like some yeah. like 
convenience store. This will do, yeah. and this is fine. And and look the 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 bag mask. I mean, it could have just been like burlap. Yeah, just sitting around, right? Um, could have been housing chestnuts. We don't know, but what we do know is that they have become somebody with these masks on. And I think that that is even more representative towards the end of the film when uh, they they do their kind of their last act. But now that the car is fucked up, they got to get back into the fucking house. And they do so. And what the fuck do you do now? Their landline is fucking dead. Their cell phones have been thrown into a fire and smashed. And they're kind of on their own. So they don't really have a clear-cut idea of what they should be doing next. But don't you worry... Don't you fret, Lids, because help is on the way. Oh, yeah, help is on the way because James called help earlier because before it was a home invasion, before they were worried for their lives, he just didn't feel comfortable being in the house, so he wanted his friend, who was at the wedding, to pick him up in the morning. Mm -hmm. His friend, being a friendly friend and not as drunk as James thought, I guess, shows up. At, it's probably like five in the morning at this point. Yeah, five or six. And he's like, dude, I'm just here to help you make sure you're okay. I'm parked outside. Boom. It, something hits. Now, it's not entirely clear to me what they're throwing. Is If it's a gun, or they say, at an earlier point, our, our invaders are like slinging mud pies. It looks like, yeah, slinging mud pies, shooting um, paintball guns. Yeah, paintball guns. It's something. That's what it feels like, sort of, the sound of it hitting the window. It doesn't smash the window, but this smashes the window. Holy fuck. Could be a brick. Yeah, and he has this reaction of, what the fuck was that? And then slowly makes his way into the house. And the house is, if you were entering a house in this this manner, I would be 100% expecting dead bodies. Because the front door is open. There's disarray. Um, it looks like you can see like a a, like romantic setting, something's fucking wrong, no one's around. People have gone scrambling for weapons, quite obviously. Mm-hmm. There's probably, at this point, a knife on the table. Uh, candles are still burning. Candles are still burning. Ice cream melting on the table. Yeah. I was very upset about that. Yeah, it's true. It's over like, you've got to put that back in the freezer. And it's I never... couldn't quite make out what kind of ice cream it is. I think it said blue velvet ice cream, which makes me feel very Lynchian. But, like, yeah. I've never heard of that. But these, like... these guys are so white bread, though. It's probably just vanilla. Ouch. Just like their personalities. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) But the house is still being terrorized because there's sounds coming from different places outside. These three are Mm -hmm. strangers are really good at like running around the house and Mm -hmm. being crazy. Mm -hmm. I I dig them for that. There's a lot of theatricality in the things that they're doing, and it seems to be part of this performance art of murder that they are doing and uh, you know the master all part of it and there's so many instances in which we see these characters our care our our victims don't see them and and that gets into the types of scares that exist within horror right there's two types of scares really scares for characters um that could maybe intimidate the audience but then there's things to scare the audience that our main characters don't even know about those Mm -hmm. scares are specifically for us woman in black does it all the time um uh, there's moments of like that in 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 halloween where we are meant to see michael myers get up where laurie doesn't and so we don't know that danger is coming and in this instance where this guy is creeping along the house he doesn't see that bagman's behind him he is just 
wondering what the fuck is going on, makes his way to the bedroom, rescues his friends, everyone goes home happy, credits. And I was really surprised about this uplifting ending. I was too. Oh, wait, no. Actually, turns out James blows his fucking head off. (laughs) Which is nice. And I really, we had a good giggle, Wes and I. Watching this movie because we would have been giggling along with our pals, the strangers. Because yeah. Wes is like, "What? What do you think the chances are they saw that happening?" You know? Yeah, they're, they're yeah. probably just giggling out in the corner somewhere in the dark. They're, like, yeah, you you get the sense initially that although they, they put chaffed in that later too, but initially you get the sense that these people have probably done this a lot. Yeah. This is their hobby. This is their putting a ship in a bottle. You know, this is their fucking ham radio. Like, this is the thing that they like to do. Part of me also wants to believe that this is their first one, that this was their trial run. I I 100% believe that, thanks to the ending now, I 100% believe that that is probably true. But you get, you sort of get the feeling that this is their hobby, yeah. Yeah, this is is what they've been talking about initially. Mm -hmm. Because I was just like, of all the things that could possibly happen... One of your victims killing one of the people in the house that you were going to kill anyways. That was probably fucking delicious to them. Probably. And it probably ha- like it happened in the movie Inside, too, where I'm thinking, what does a killer think of this? Is a killer sitting back going, oh, fuck. Like, Look at you. Like, totally killed that girl. Yeah. And they take the time to write killer on the window once James. Uh, now, there's a, uh, this is interesting because it's it's entirely plausible that you would think that it was your friend that was terrorizing you, right? Mm. But of course, like you could, like you could make the connection. I asked him to come here, and then I shot him in the fucking face. Now, and then within moments, the people that are surrounding the house and terrorizing you are making fun of you. Yeah, making fun of you, calling you a killer. So you know what he's done. And I think like this. This after this point, James is never. I mean, listen, like Scott Speedman. I, I make fun of him because uh, I like. I think his range as an actor is pretty limited. Uh, but I, I definitely think that at this point in the film, he does become a different person. But we're about to lose James, uh, not his life, but we're going to lose him for the narrative for a pretty good chunk of the movie up until this point. Because it suddenly devolves into Scooby-Doo. Yeah, he he thinks, and thanks for breaking our no Scooby-Doo record. Yeah, I had to. Yeah, I'm glad you did. I love Scooby-Doo. Everyone knows that. Now, they definitely, he's like fucking, oh, we better split up and search for clues, gang. I don't know why he would think that after blowing his friend's brains out. Maybe he's got a taste for murder. Well, and I don't like, know why Kristen wouldn't just put on her goddamn shoes and follow him anyway. But, oh, yeah, I forgot. She's completely fucking brain dead and useless. Or at least that's what they're painting, which is painful. And it's watch. not fair. And and so we have this this uh, this idea that he's going to go, uh, listen, their other car got fucked up, but the, his friend had a car. So we can at least get to that Yeah, one. so he's going to go out of the house, leave her alone, wearing shoes and the gun, yeah. and save the fucking day. Save the fucking day. It's like, why don't you both go get into the car and get the fuck out of yeah, there? Yeah, right? But it doesn't really matter because he is going hunting. Maybe he got, a, like I said, he got a taste for killing. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, well, that was easy. I just killed, I killed him and I didn't even really mean to. I'm going to go kill the other one. And he's got pinup doll dead to rights. Yeah. She, you, this is where you get a sense of like, the, these strangers are not as omnipotent as they initially appear because they are. You think that the man they know exactly where you are every fucking beat of the uh, every beat. 
Not really. I mean, the the pinup girl is basically keeping track of the grounds. She's like looking around. She's got a flashlight. And just as she sees James and he's got, like I said, he's got her dead to rights. He could fucking blow her head out. That's where Bagman shows up and uh, takes him out. Now, we don't know exactly what happened. And we can probably assume that he's not dead. But at this point, Kristen is essentially on her own. So she goes to take a little hike and uh, falls into a ditch. Yeah. And <laughs> twists her ankle <laughs> or Which breaks it. Or... I don't know if she's bro- broken it or not. And I kind of like that they like she doesn't just turn around and go, oh, I've broken my ankle or yeah. Ooh, a, a sprain. You know, mm-hmm. like she's just injured. She's just mm-hmm. injured. I wish she was wearing fucking shoes. Like it drives me batshit insane that this girl didn't put goddamn shoes on. She's she needs to run away from people, mm-hmm. not barefoot. But yeah. yeah. So but instead of being injured and. You know, having like, I guess people accuse soccer players of this quite often where they're not really injured, but they lay on the field for 20 yeah, minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, she doesn't do that. She doesn't writhe around in the dirt, quote unquote, hurt. She does her best to crawl out of there and she does baby her leg, but she does eventually get up on it. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Um, those but- are a few of those things that save this character for me from thinking that she's just painted as a really useless woman which is so painful for me to watch but she uh yeah hurts her leg Mm -hmm. somehow and tries to get into the barn where that's where james was initially going to check out a radio his dad had a ham radio he certainly did have a radio for help yeah (laughs) it's like and uh she manages to get someone on this radio but as she was crawling towards the the barn we see the pinup girl as stalking her. Everybody's noticed that she's fucking crawling toward the barn. Yeah, she doesn't really care. I mean, one of them is is fucking like like uh, the doll face is just like swinging and swings and shit like that. Yeah, just, just checking us out. out. But just as she finally gets some on the radio, and we never know who this person that they caught on the radio was, but she basically has enough time to say "help me," and then oh shit, pinup girl is in there smashes the fucking ham radio and again it's all a performance it's all we're gonna let you get to that barn we're going to let you make contact and just before you can really get help from it we're gonna smash that radio then we're gonna let you go back into the house run away get away from us and then we are going to stock the house for you and this is where we definitely see bagman uh doesn't know where she is we think we think and that's a tough one for me because i I, i'd like to think that she's got a one-up on them Mm -hmm. i'd like to think that she did the right thing by finally sequestering herself creating a panic room and hiding in the closet where she can see them and they can't see her Mm -hmm. i'd love to think that that's you know how lucky she is Mm -hmm. but maybe he does know she's there it's true, especially since you would think that, I mean, the, the mask would limit his peripheral enough. You could see that maybe he can't see her because initially he's just walking into the room and it's like, if he only turned his head like two to three or three degrees to the right, he might have been able to see her, but he doesn't. And then she manages to get in there. Now, her doll face does know that she's in there. And when he leaves, here's the thing that's very interesting about the way that these strangers operate, I feel, is they really let they don't all pile up together no they, one will always hang back and sort of play short stop yeah exactly i don't not really clear on what a short stop is but i've heard this analogy be made before <laughs> um but and, and another will like hang back keep six while the other one is doing the dirty work at hand 
or one will see that the person is going to escape in the only open area so they'll swing around and cover that so that the other person can sort of like hang back and just be creepy yeah they take turns with that being creepy they do it's like okay if she's in the barn all right pinup girl you can go ahead and stalk her and i don't know if it's it's not necessarily that they're trying to even kill her at that point it's like i feel like they're hurting they're making sure that she is going where they want it's all part of the fun really and then when Bagman walks out of the room and then Dollface, she scares, basically scares Liv Tyler's character out of that fucking uh, pantry. Which I'd love to believe that they didn't know she was in the pantry, that they're just used to like coming into rooms and going, ah, yeah, just yeah, in case yeah. she's in there. <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's they pretty... do rely on luck, I think, more heavily than they rely on planning. Yeah, yeah. And and especially like there's this moment where I'm wondering if uh, like there's a, one of my favorite moments in this entire movie is where Bagman is looking around and she's looking at him through the pantry. And this is the first time that you can kind of kind of reminds you of that scene from Alien where Ripley is just hanging back and actually looking at the creature and it's sort of moving and it, you're not really sure if it's aware of her, but it seems all tuckered out from killing. Um, he just has this moment where he just sits down in the chair, the same chair that James sat at to eat his fucking sad boy ice cream and just sort of, <sighs> sits down. And I just think, it's like, wonder what he's thinking about. There's moments like that in the movie, uh, The Bleeding House, and in Funny Games even, there's some moments where the killers or the the active person gets to just take a breather. Take a breather, and he's just sitting around, and what is this life? What are we doing? Like this when is... a serial killer eats a sandwich. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a part of me that wonders if Bagman is thinking, having this moment where he sat down in that chair, it's just the, uh, his anxiety of, I just was so scared that when we were doing this in the moment, I wasn't appreciating it enough. And then when it's over, it'll be over. And so he really wants to sit down and just, I'm just going to appreciate this moment right now. I'm just going to sit down and savor it. Maybe that's what he's doing. Mm-hmm. I like it. Or I know she's in that closet. I heard her go into that closet because she's not sneaky. Mm-hmm. And... Maybe she has a can of peas and maybe this is it. Maybe, maybe I'll give her this chance. I'll just sit here and wait and see if she attacks me with a can of peas. I'm waiting. She does not. And as he leaves the room, and you'd think that he would be able to hear what Dollface is doing. Because she's like fucking ransacking, like ripping this flimsy door apart, basically. Yeah. Um, and that's how come I'm thinking they're, they're, they're consciously hanging back. And that's confirmed when we get out and we see now it's, just Kristen versus Dollface. What's she going to do? She's got herself a little kitchen knife that she's managed to get. But Dollface has the ki- the kitchen knife, the initial kitchen knife, the big one, the Michael Myers knife that she found on the table just sitting there. And now she's just looking at her and she's spinning it and she's staring at her and... Just being creepy and Just saying you're, you're going to die. And again, that's it's what it's all about. It seems to be trying to make these people as fearful as possible they are playing with their food in a way and aside from is tamara here this is the first time that any of them have spoke yeah it's true it's true i don't like bagman doesn't have any fucking lines does he he just has raspy breathing which makes me feel for him and think that maybe maybe this is all for money somehow and he is in desperate need of a lung transplant yeah it's like if tiny tim became a murderer to get his surgery as opposed to like teaching people the true meaning of christmas yeah yeah um, so Perry Knight versus Michael Myers, Martha Stewart every day 
giant butcher knife. Yeah. Now she's going to get out of that situation too sweet because James is going to get fucking tossed through the fucking door. It was a good timing. I don't know if he had just launched himself through that window or if Bagman had fucking picked him up and hucked him through the window. It's hard to say. And it also, he seems hurt, but not so hurt. And he's got the gun, doesn't he? No, Bagman has his gun. Oh, Unfortunately, right, we see right, moments right. later, Bagman comes in behind him with the gun. So, oh, like, look right. who I caught creeping around outside. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, Liv Tyler had uh, a very similar entrance to the house not that long ago when she made it back to the house from the barn on her own. It's true. Um, and she sort of, like, tumbled in, too. So James tumbling in kind of fits if he'd done it it's just true. to escape Bagman. Speaking of, speaking of the, the Bagman taking James's gun, you really get the sense that there's another aspect of it that doesn't seem particularly planned because Bagman has a, a fire axe, an old an old or old woodsman axe basically, mm-hmm. and he got that from the barn. We can see the old like outline of of where the axe would have gone in that barn, and so that's where he got that knife. Dollface is is using the knife that they got there, so it, 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 that to me is very. Um, no, hang on a second here because that's very Manson-esque. I'm like, I think that was Manson-esque in the LaBianca murders, but the Tate murders... LaBianca, yeah, because they, like, they stuck the carving fork into the stomach of uh, Lena LaBianca. Yeah, 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 right. That's a funny joke and carved pig on him. Yeah. Uh, but that, and those were things found in the house, but they used buck knives. Yeah. Uh, at that, at that killing mm-hmm. that they brought and they, with and they, them. And they brought, a, they brought a gun too, so... Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it, it was, uh, so, again, very, uh, See to your pants. I mean, you could always assume that in any house there would be an implement that you could kill somebody with. I mean, you can kill someone with a book if you really tried. But or a can of peas. A like, can I of peas. wish that Kristen would have tried. Yeah, really, a big old heavy thing, a, key, a, a big old fucking tin of peas. That'll fuck somebody up. But this is where she'll, uh, thanks to James, basically, run, run. And then she gets him back into the master bedroom, which seems to be like home base. Like, they just keep going back to the master bedroom, which again, why didn't they just make that their panic room? There's only there's a door and there's a window. You have a gun. Yeah, for a while they had a gun and she had a knife, so they would have been adequately armed and they would have been able to tell where anyone was in the house. No one's going to come in and surprise them. Mm-hmm. Like, ridiculous, ridiculous. But at any rate, this is where she gets fucking face-planted into the wall and is dragged to a chair where... Now, this is this is the part of the film that is the most famous part of the film, rightfully so, because you have the very iconic image. The image that you always see when people are talking about this movie online, it's the trio of these masked killers sitting in front of two tied-up people, and where the very famous line, because you are home, mm-hmm. is... So several times... Kristen has asked why they are doing this to them. Why them? Why are they doing this? Mm-hmm. And finally, they get that answer in the mm-hmm. "Because you were home," which is oft quoted and yeah, um, all, not, not quite ripped off, but mm-hmm. yeah. But again, it, it it is to reinforce this random act of violence that this film is trying to constantly hammer into your head that this is this happens all the time, like one point four million violent attacks. In in the United States every year, etc. I mean, they throw that stat right in your face, like right in the opening number. Yeah. So this is this is the moment in which you wonder what kind of movie 
this is going to be. And if you've seen other uh, couple movies, I kept likening this, even though it's not really the same. It's not the same story at all, but it's very, it has similar elements to Eden Lake, which is uh, what I brought up. When you have a, a, a couple, uh, there's a question of like, will they, won't they get married? It's fiancés. It's not a married couple. It's not just a boyfriend and girlfriend. It's people in that like transitionary period in a relationship. And then it ends in tragedy. And one of the interesting aspects of this, the most ritualistic of all of the actions that these strangers do throughout this film, it is the it is the unified removing of their masks mm-hmm. when they are about to kill their prey. What this could represent is a myriad of things. It's either we're going to show you our faces. Because it won't matter anymore. Because it won't matter. Um, oh, you I, I, thought the masks were scary. We're actually scarier. Mm-hmm. Um, because... <clears throat> Our true faces are those of killers. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it could be like almost like a, a a a chivalrous aspect to it of like giving you the honor of seeing our faces, like a like a knight raising their helmet to another as it passes. Although I wouldn't give them that mentality. But there's a lot of like cultural connotations or to just the, the the fun is over. Yeah, that was us is... being fun and comical and jesters and now we're not anymore. Yeah, we're just people and we're going to kill you and that's the end of it. And you have this moment where kind of full circle with the relationship, Kristen has taken the opportunity to put the ring back on her finger uh as this symbolic Which gesture. I don't know. A part of me wants to think that Dollface put it on as a funny joke. Oh, maybe. But she takes... Uh, I mean, and uh, James is kind of, like, done, right? Yeah. Like, And, and it's very interesting. Uh, Eden Lake is like this, too, yeah. where, where, the, where the man is just done. He's just given up. And she is still pleading with them. And a very great scene is when she holds his hand, got the ring on it, I love you. And I had this thought um, when we were watching it that could you imagine... If they lived through this, and then he was like, so when should we start planning the wedding? And she goes, Ooh, you know, I thought we were going to die, and I didn't really think it mattered anyway, so I kind of just wanted to make you feel better. To, ah, but, do you want the ring back? Do you, so like, like yeah. I, you know, I, I yeah, it would and, be super and, awkward. <laughs> and now we're not dying, and I kind of feel like maybe I said that under duress. So, <laughs> but anyways, let's go with the the romantic. I'm a romantic man, yeah. So let's just say, in the face of tragedy, she realized what was truly important, and that the thought of losing this person means that she now realizes how much he means to him. Now, she does tell him to look at him, look at her. As he's getting fucking knifed. I love this scene a lot. It's both romantic, um, but also horrific in the way that I like. Because he's getting stuck and she's just like, just look at me. It's kind of like an open Just lo- endure it. It's like someone getting tattooed that isn't taking it very well. You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. start talking to them about something. Yeah. Just try and engage them. Keep them engaged. Mm-hmm. So now they're engaged and engaged. Engaged. In, yeah. In, and as, as these two, uh, as she's knifed and then... As he is knifed, he's getting knifed twice, once in the gut, and you're just like, oh, you could probably live from that. Oh, the second one goes right to the uh, right into the chest. And you're like, well, he's yeah, he's probably fucked. And then uh, Kristen gets knifed, and we scream, and we cut away from the house. It's daytime, by the way. This is taken all night. Nice, safe daytime. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Uh, the pinup girl, she even, like, 
opens the curtains is like, ah, let the let the daylight in. Why yeah, not? Yeah, what a wonderful day. What a mm-hmm. beautiful day. Um, I like th- this reminds me of Eden. Like it reminds me of Eden like a lot too because I really like that relentless random brutality that Eden mm. like is. Even though you also get that sort of um, idle time hailbilly horror where people have transgressed onto their property, the random acts that uh, Mick doles out, but it's also somebody trespassing where these people haven't trespassed into the realm of the strangers. The strangers are definitely the trans the trespassers here, but like. Uh, the what can you do? What can you do to save yourself? Nothing. In the outback, never, ever, ever stop. That's mm-hmm. what you learn from fucking Mick. With these, you don't. What do you learn? Don't open your door. I I think like again the the unsettling nature of this film goes back to what we were talking about before about why home invasion is so successful and 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 why I've always said. Um, whether people agree with me or not, that horror has always taught me that life is precious. And what horror characters represent to me is the uncertainty of the future, the uncertainty of tomorrow, where these people, it was a shame that they needed their lives threatened to really understand what was most important to them. But that's just the way it is. You don't know what you have until it's about to be taken away from you or it's already gone. And and also to give you this feeling is like you're not really safe. We've kind of given ourselves a society and a culture and we've advanced to the point in which we don't have to worry about invading marauders. We don't necessarily, especially here in like the first world, we don't have to worry about bandits running through our town and raping and pillaging and then leaving and whoever's left just has to pick up the pieces and everyone else is just fucking dead. Um, so it, 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 but like for thousands of years, that was our lives. Mm-hmm. And, and the uncertainty of like, is my family going to be dead tomorrow? All of them through disease, through uh, wild animals, through whatever. Um, and, and so when we show that the scariest thing is our neighbors and what they look like, who they are is irrelevant because it's not like when the masks are removed, we as the audience see who they are. And it's not like there's a gasp of recognition. No, no, no. They are the strangers. They they are strangers and they remain that way to the final moments of this film. And, And I think that all of these things combined together is what makes the strangers such a standout. And is it the greatest home invasion movie ever made? I don't think that it is, but I think that it is certainly the one that most horror fans, especially mainstream horror fans, people who like horror but maybe are not steeped, steeped into it, um, will go to. And, and and I think it's a hell of a nice job. And that culminates to the ending of this film, which, like we said, is a mirrored beginning and end. And this is the last moment where we're given an idea that this probably was a dry run, where they stop... There's these two Mormon children or whatever the fuck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, only because they're wearing ties and little white shirts on their yeah. bikes in the middle of the morning. Yeah, and whoever might be um, Dollface, whoever she is, the blonde lady, she wants their literature. And I don't know if it's to because she wants to go and read this stuff and repent or, or like if they're particularly religious or believes. That, or these people are just that random. Yeah, they're just random. It's like, yeah, I, I want to ironically read this Christian. Liter- they want some ice cream. Tutti fucking fruity. Tutti you know? fucking fruity. It's that kind of scene in a way to me. But yeah, that or 
maybe she just feels that bad and it's divine providence that there's these two god-fearing children that have some literature mm-hmm. for her because they ask are you a sinner and her answer is equally random sometimes sometimes um then uh, whoever the pinup girl is says it'll be easier next time that's what she says as they drive away which that to me is a pretty strong indication that this was the first one it is to me as well and only because things did go wrong in this one Mm -hmm. obviously maybe they envisioned it going quicker or slower i'm not sure what their uh mythological plan would have been for the way this night was supposed to go but from my point of view it seemed to go kind of wrong yeah. Um, especially with an extra bonus body. You got a bonus body. You mm-hmm. didn't want that. You got, a, you got a bonus body. And also, it could have, like, for all of the noise and all of, like, the outside, like, the friend showing up, if this house was at a slightly more densely populated area, it could have really broken bad for them, really. And, and not only that, but there's this moment of the removal of the masks when the theatricality is, is ended. And the brutality of what they're actually there to do. You you can have like thrill killers talk about this all the time and they talk about the psychological effects of actually killing somebody, particularly with a knife, right? Uh, you know, how it changes you. Feeling a knife go th- pass through bone and muscle and cartilage changes you. And that's how come when people are knifed to death, you can usually indicate which the which is the first stab wound. It's the most shallow because they don't, and things can get more fevered. And by the time someone's been stabbed like, oh, 50 some odd times. There's um, a bruising around where the fucking hilt has hit. Yeah, because yeah. you've hit this fevered, the, the fiery peak of madness has overtaken you. Uh, but, but And so I'm wondering if Dollface in the moment of death really, something really changed. Something really changed. And, 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 uh, and so the thing of going easier next time it could mean, be that it was her first or that she had a hard time in that particular scene. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it, it could be something like that. It's hard to say because, like I said, they don't give us very much about The Strangers, which is what makes it effective Yeah, and, and allows us to have this conversation, which is why the sequel will be so interesting because um, because we can – I'm wondering if they're going to expand on these people at all because um, – we don't know anything about them. But they very well could too, because unfortunately, if you know, if you're if you're an optimist, they could be potentially identified. They could be potentially identified because, and this is gonna. So the film basically ends at that point. The Mormon children fucking find. I don't know if they're Mormons, but they basically the Mormons, are. Mormons, yeah. Yeah, they fucking go into the house, and this is where we get to the one of these kids is the one that makes a nine one one call. We yeah, heard in the beginning. Yeah, and, and so this is where everything's discovered. And guess what? Kristen? Not dead. Again, if you're an optimist. Because this could have been the twitch, twitch of the deafness. <laughs> really could have been. Um, I've seen headless chickens do almost exactly this. It's true. And and you, like she wakes up, basically grabs that kid and screams. So it easily could have been the a death whale. Yeah. Or... Or she's made it. Or she's made it. And being terrified. She started out kind of terrified, though, because she was terrorized. And she, you know, if Liv Tyler was in a whole bunch of more horror movies, she would be my number one pick for Scream Queen. Mm. Because even though I, I don't like some of the very unfortunate 
personality traits within this particular character. I really like her portrayal of it. I love mm-hmm. her soft-spoken nature. I make fun of it, but I like it. Mm-hmm. And I like her fucking scream. It's she has good. a kick-ass scream. It's very she, good. to me, and this mm-hmm. is a scream queen. Oh, yeah. Uh, unlike 90% of women who use that term, um, this is what I'm after in a, in a scream queen. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And, uh, yeah, and I've always been a fan of, like, uh, you know, she's never really done anything where I was like, what, a, like, woof, she can't act. What's she doing here? Uh, so it, it, it's very strong. But I do have a question for you. And we touched on it very briefly just a couple of minutes ago about expanding on the strangers and uh, identifying them. Here's my question to you, Lids. The strangers, how are they related? Friends? Family? I have a sexy circle? No, 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 no. I don't think they got a sexy bone in their bodies. Um, I really honestly think that the two dark-haired ones, mm-hmm. uh, so pin-up face and baghead, mm-hmm. are siblings. Okay. And I, I think that there's something wrong medically with the man. Um, and he has no real say. I think that pin-up face is the ringleader of it all and the mm. driving force of nature here and she does kind of like handle the car yeah she and she also handles she's the, the like playing perimeter mm-hmm. I, and to probably i'm making sure they don't get away yeah. you two do your stock and slash shit inside and it could be a quasi-incestuous relationship where mm-hmm. uh, maybe not so much sex involved, but it's like this um, in- incest of jealousy in a way. Mm-hmm. And I think that the doll face is new, mm-hmm. uh, entirely new. She could be where Liv Tyler's character could end up in the future mm-hmm. as a, a brainwashed Stockholm Syndrome former victim of theirs mm-hmm. or a girlfriend of one of them because I'm mm-hmm. not going to assign uh, sexuality to them necessarily. We don't know. We can't possibly guess that. Can't possibly guess that. So she could be involved. I don't think that she's a blood relative of any way. But that's just me guessing and playing. And if yeah. I were writing this, this would be in my Bible as far as... And I hate calling it a fucking Bible. And I will not call it a playbook. So I'd rather call it a Bible than a playbook. Thank you. But like in my background or on these people, that would probably be how I'd imagine them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I definitely am agreeing with you uh, wholeheartedly. I think that that is the most accurate. I definitely think siblings, that is the most likely uh, for the two dark-haired ones, and I definitely agree. Now, for all I know, it is very, since this was partially, very loosely inspired by uh, the Tate LaBianca murders and also uh, other murders from uh, this guy's uh, childhood, um, it could easily be just a trio of lost people. There could be a ringleader. Yeah, there that... could be a larger group, like the Manson family, where there's or these were just a few select members. Yeah, exactly. People to get the job done. That'd but be creepy. That would be super creepy. And maybe in the new movie, they'll say like, oh yeah, you think that those three were the only people involved in this like pack of murderers? You're wrong. Very cool concept. But even if it is these three, I think that it could easily be... Three just very disturbed people that have found each other. Whoever the ringleader is, like pinup girl, I, like that se- seems likely to me because um, Baghead 
you might just say, oh, it's the man. Obviously, he's the ringleader. I'm like, eh. A bad writer would just assume that and and a very obtuse person would just automatically assign that to this person. But there's no evidence to support that. And he definitely um, seems to be uh, like he doesn't really seem to be leading anything. You know what I'm saying? Like just because he's driving the car in the end doesn't mean he's the boss. Uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely have been going that route. But I think the idea of like the blonde doll face, she spoke the most. She was the one that felt the most compelled to answer Mm-hmm. These questions, whereas the other two are, are seemed content to not even talk. So yeah. I think that there is there is a lot of hesitance there to to fully devolve and separate any sort of humanity from herself and say, I am this instrument of death and I am killing because that is what I am. I am a fucking killer. And so she still feels compelled when someone speaks to you, I have to answer them. Whereas the other people who wouldn't even give them the dignity of an answer ever for anything would say, like, we don't view you on the same level as of uh, as us. I don't talk to a dog because a dog doesn't fucking understand me. It's that type of mentality. So, yeah. So it could be. It could be. I, I also like to pretend that these are all former victims of home invasions that are just sort just of like, this other. is what I do now. Yeah, there's the, you know what with the with the with the, since this was in 2008 and the internet was a thing and and you could easily like go to like fucking groups online you could definitely find like go to like a victims group for survivors and then all of a sudden there's like a subsection of people who are kind of like does anybody feel like the only way that we can feel powerful again and not feel like victims and feel like we have our lives back is maybe if we start being the people who dictate who lives and dies does anyone else. Anyone else feel like that? This is where I'm curious to see where the sequel goes. I know, but like the, the best thing about the fact that, that there was such restraint in this initial script for these killers, it can go anywhere. And I would be equally satisfied if it they just the left it the way it was, right? Like it was like, no, we don't need we don't need any of that. That's not what made the movie effective. They're just attacking a new group of people. That's why I like ambiguous endings so very mm. fucking much. And I do wonder, and I have to go back and pay attention or like look, um, the guy, the friend that he shoots in the head with the shotgun, mm-hmm. could that have been his brother? There were brothers' names, and I didn't catch that guy's name when he called him initially. No, I don't so know. So it would be just adorable. Because he says, I'm at the house. He doesn't say, like, my house or something. It's the house. So but, he, like, that could so be So he shot his things. brother in the mush. I maybe. think it could be his brother. So I'd, I'd like to think it is, just because I'm a horrible person. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> so coming up next yeah what do we got next some, i don't fucking know i've never watched it before but it's a linda blair movie so i'm excited i've just never watched it hell night we're gonna be watching hell night and uh this is uh this is an oldie pick from me mm-hmm. uh i've had this i've had this film on vhs and i still have that film on vhs as a matter of fact cool. but uh it, it, it got re-released recently and i was like this is a hell of an opportunity to talk about this film. And I think you, Lydia, are really going to like it. I might be dead wrong, but I hope I'm not. I think I will too. And I also do like that we're hitting some real Scream Queen action mm-hmm. with Women in Horror Month. And we'll be covering a Linda Blair film that I've never seen, which is really cool to me. Uh, so we're going from lovey-dovey couples to mm. start out February in a way with yeah. strangers. <laughs> yeah. And then we're getting into the scream queen of it all with mm-hmm. linda blair uh would you say it's at her prime because you, you want it like linda blair at her prime was when she was 13 but like <clears throat> she's 
what in her 30s 20s she's got to be she's got to be in her 20s when this film came out it was early 80s she'd already done uh exorcist and exorcist to the heretic and she had done another horror film which the name of it is escaping me Mm -hmm. i think it might have been a made for tv thing but uh no yeah this was her in the night in the early 80s uh not early 80s but like yeah this is definitely her in like the mid 80s as the most scream queen thing like because she it, it is like college it is a fucking it's hell night. Mm-hmm. It is it is like a fraternity initiations. Perfect. It is going into a, a gothic house. Is there a hospital scene? There's no hospital Damn, scene, fuck. but there's a police station scene, which oh, is really great. Good. I like that. And and there is um and we have like a, a deformed family members nice. long thought dead Ooh, lingering in a a house that has catacombs in the basement. So, like, it's very cool. It's very similar. It, it has a vibe of Toby Hooper's Fun House. That's what I was just hoping yeah. for. And, yeah, I'm very excited now. Very excited. Mm-hmm. After that, we're going to roll into uh, the Oprah Winfrey spectacular, Beloved, which might seem like an odd pick, but I, it's a fucking dyed-in-the-wool horror film. And it is, again, still Women in Horror Month. It's Black History Month. So we're going to be hitting all of those notes with one single movie. And I'd have to say Oprah Winfrey as a horror film star is the exact opposite of Linda Blair in a zillion trillion ways. If For those who would say it's not a horror film, we've done not a horror films before. So whatever. I'm happy with it. And I've been wanting to do this movie for quite some time. Yeah. I've never seen it. Oh, there's there's bits in this that might give you the heebie-jeebies. It gives me the fucking heebie-jeebies. Like, yeah, it might be a shorter episode because we're probably going to condense all of the actual horror talk. And it is condensable that way because the whole film isn't a horror film. But the central theme is uh, very horrific. It's a supernatural film. Interested. I'm very interested. I had no idea. Like, I literally had no idea. Like, when you suggested Beloved, I was like, I know what that movie is. That has horror elements in it. What? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I know. Mm. Yeah, it's a, just I, it creeps me out more than a lot of horror movies ever accomplished. So, damn, I I think of it as a horror movie. Period. Well, I think of this as the end of the podcast. Period. Well, I'm Wes Snipe, and I'm Typical Lydia, and you've been listening to Dead Air. <laughs>